Hello, I'm Anthony Sena. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast. Episode 21, Supporting and Celebrating Your Brain. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello and welcome to Fusion Health Radio. If you are a loyal listener, thanks for tuning in. And hello if this is your first time here. Thanks for showing up. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with Dr. Michael Smith. How are you today, Michael? I'm doing great. It's sunny outside. Lovely spring day. And we're staring outside. We're not actually in the sun. <laughs> and I'm just going to say that now to get it off my chest. <laughs> uh, Michael, tell folks who you are and what you know. Uh, so I practice integrative medicine. I do that by combining the leading edge sciences of functional and nutritional medicine with the vast experience and wisdom of traditional Chinese medicine. And uh, for myself, I'm a bit of a online marketing smarty pants. Uh, well, maybe a lot of an online marketing smarty pants. That's how I like to bill myself. Uh, you'll find me on Twitter at Truth About Food, um, a moniker that I picked up way back in 2007 when I started my health journey. I bumped into Michael many years later, um, and all of that inspiration and education that I uh, dug up my, on my own was uh, reinforced by whatever it was that Michael was saying, plus uh, piled on top of with new ideas. Uh, and here we are today. Um, Michael and I get on like a house on fire. We just decided to sit behind the microphones for a couple of podcasts and see what we can do. And here we are 21 episodes later. So, woo! yeah, that's awesome. Um, we're on a track. Yeah, this is this is number four, the final of the four seasons on the brain. Yeah, there we go. Um, last episode, we talked about uh, seasons of winter and spring. Uh, yeah, was we it? did spring last time, and it's kind of like the idea of the rebirth of you know the brain through cleansing and exercise and diet and stuff. Right. And um, can you give folks, I don't know if it's possible, a, a brief sort of synopsis of what you've been talking about around brain health uh, so far, what they may have missed? Uh, so in the first episode, it was, hello, I am your brain. And we just talked a little bit about how your brain is really in no way separate from the rest of your body, which is obviously super important. And I think it was about halfway through that podcast, you and I both sort of had the same epiphany that we've just been taking our brains for granted and just assume that, you know, you wake up and it works this well, so it must be working well. And, uh, you know, when it comes to medical outcomes and stuff, it's the old metaphor of boiling a frog. You know, your brain will gradually change over time and you won't really notice until maybe you see a relative you haven't seen in 20 years and they'll suddenly say, well, you seem really, really smart or the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, then we did a episode on, um, what I would call the fall or the West or things that just have to do with health and illness with respect to the brain. Then we got into the winter. We talked about, you know, a calm, nourished brain, the benefit of meditation, the benefit of uh, applying various teachings from different traditions on the stress in your life, on relationships. And uh, I think that was an actually really fun one. I remember editing it uh, recently and just going, wow, this is a really interesting conversation, you know, because it's one thing to sit here behind the microphone and just say what's in my mind, but it's also neat to just listen to it and go, oh, those are actually really interesting ideas for people. And again, we just did the last one on the spring, which was the rebirth of the brain. And today we're talking all about the things you can do to actually support and celebrate your brain. And in the context of the four seasons, that would be about summer when there's lots to eat and there's lots of sun and lots of friends. Uh, so we get the most 
uh, nutritional support in summer and the most celebration. So well, that's what we're going to do today. Today's uh, definitely a sunny, sunny spring day. It feels like summer out there, so it's kind of appropriate we're talking about uh, that sort of thing around um, celebrating the brain and supporting it. Uh, just on the um, the side of how we've been doing podcasts so far, Michael and I talked briefly before we came to microphones, and um, one of the things that we're always looking to do is make the podcast that much more uh, dynamic and interesting and uh, educational. And uh, making it personal is one way to do that. Um, Michael uh, suggested that we need to tell more stories, and I love telling stories. The one thing that I like to do with uh, clients of mine is encourage them to tell stories in order to get their points across. And I think uh, telling a story is also a great way for uh, you, the listener, to better understand what uh, Michael's talking about. I know it is a, a powerful way of learning for myself, and so hopefully uh, throughout this podcast and the next ones, as we progress, as we mature, as professional podcasters, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll start telling a few more uh, telling stories. So around the idea of supporting and celebrating your brain, um, is there a particular story or idea that comes to mind that you want to share around that? So about a year ago, a year and a half ago, I started studying neurology just as, you know, every year I try and upgrade my medical, you know, background with something new or go deeper into something that I'm already familiar with. And it was really interesting, you know, kind of synchronicity that happens. And you know, I'm studying all these crazy big fat books. And then people start popping up in the clinic with these really strange, you know, things that I would have never figured out before that. And uh, one guy comes to mind, he'd come in and um, he'd actually gone deaf suddenly. He just woke up one day without any hearing. And it took about three or four weeks for some of his hearing loss to uh, come back, although it was still not great. Um, and he came in to see me. And I was just going, well, I'm asking all these other questions and checking out some neurological stuff. And it was really clear from that, you know, point of view in medicine that uh, there was some degeneration or atrophy of the temporal lobe in his brain. And, um, you know, I said, wow, that's really neat that, you know, we got to that in about 15 minutes. And he was also really surprised that, you know, that was where our conversation went because he was expecting to probably talk to him about you know, food or chi or something. <laughs> or, <laughs> Which, or hearing aids. Or hearing aids, there you go. And, uh, yeah, he got into a process of reducing the inflammation in his whole body, but especially his brain, uh, through things you can make in your own kitchen. And uh, got on some supplements to just improve circulation and uh, restore the sort of nutrient capacity of the brain and was within a month later completely fine, not only with his hearing, but with all these other peripheral things that he hadn't really noticed over the last few years coming up. Because again, neurology is tricky that way. Stuff just sort of sneaks up on you until all of a sudden the momentum of that turns into some pretty catastrophic change. And I guess that sort of touches on things that we've talked about in the past where uh, the health of uh, the body, nutritional health and how that supports all the different aspects that everything's connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, fixing is, <laughs> is that the right word? Fixing? <laughs> uh, addressing the issue that he had with his hearing loss uh, just cleaned house on a couple of other problems that he had. And I'm actually just in this moment reminded of a, and this was pretty recent, a woman came in, um, was very, very healthy, and then all of a sudden wasn't, and she's you know in her 80s, so I mean, that can happen. And she was here with her family, and uh, it was almost the same thing. Um, except with her and her family, it wasn't just the, um, you know, eat this, don't eat that, you know, take these strange supplements and stuff. It was about changing their entire mindset because the whole family was kind of in this uh, haze of, well, she's in her 80s, it's probably some kind of onset of, you know, dementia or maybe it's, you know, actually Alzheimer's or something. 
And, you know, she, the old woman herself, was in the same place. I'm like, well, I said, just put me in a wheelchair and take me to a home because it's finally all, you know. It's all downhill from here. It's all downhill from here. Um, anyway, and it was really the conversations with uh, her daughter herself and a couple of other people in the family about, you know, it's worth it to spend this little bit of money, you know, on these supplements and to take them every day and to get rid of your favorite little comfort foods for a while. And believe me, man, I can tell you, as a clinician, the older people get, the more stubborn they are about their little happy little thing. If it's you know, my, my toast and peanut butter on my cup of tea or something. Uh, so this being the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast, it's just interesting that for them, you know, the go-to thing was, you know, really, as a group of people, changing very much how they communicated and what they expected, uh, what they were entitled to. And, and again, within weeks, you know, she's back out there. Chasing people around having fun. So, wow. Um, so today we're on the tack of um, celebrating and supporting your brain. Um, certainly, two good examples that you've given there between uh, somebody regaining their hearing and grandma regaining herself. I suppose. Yeah, pretty much in some way, and her family, which I think is quite. Uh, you know, again, it speaks to the idea of things being connected in us, but it's also what we're connected to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what are we on about today? Uh, What's What specific things do you want to start with? Well, I think I want to start with the idea of tissue support because, I mean, the structure of your brain, it has a structure. It, I mean, it's going to run better if that structure has the most tissue support. Uh, your brain is obviously full of neuropathways and neurotransmitters, so we need a lot of things to manufacture and maintain the production and maintenance of all of that. And there's a lot to it, and we've kind of touched on these things before, but I really wanted to make sure we could just have a I know 10, 15 minute geek out on these are the absolute most important things for your brain. Sure. So is there a uh, top 10 list? Uh, I'm not sure if there's 10, but let's say probably 10. <laughs> uh, the first thing that I would really encourage anyone to do is to, you know, go back to our good old standard, you know, the best thing for everything is bone broth. Hmm. Now, there's sort of a, I don't know, pro and con to bone broth with respect to your brain. The pro is that uh, the glial cells, which we used to think were basically, you know, bricks and stuff, uh, they're actually like a receptacle for calcium and a whole bunch of other, you know, uh, minerals and stuff that actually supply the activity that's happening within the synaptic cleft or the, you know, fun place between neurons. And without that consistent, deep uh, mineral support, eventually certain functions in your brain are going to be running uh, at a deficit. You know, you can only support so many... Um, I don't know, I think like, it's like emails, you have to keep hitting the little button, send, send, send. If you don't have enough calcium, you can't keep hitting send. So your, your brain will just naturally, through efficiency, just kind of compartmentalize what it's going to do. So bone broth is awesome for that, uh, in terms of trace minerals and lots of calcium. But there's a con. And that is when you cook any kind of protein, and we're trying to extract the protein out of the bones by cooking it for 40, 50 hours. Um, one of the proteins can turn into a, from like a, a simple kind of amino acid into what's called glutamate. And glutamate is a pretty useful thing in the brain. It's actually its own specific kind of neurotransmitter, but at high doses of glutamate, uh, you're actually going to end up having really weird side effects in the sense of, you know, manic thinking, anxiety, potential, you know, intermittent rage, uh, confusion, uh, migraines. The classical example around glutamate is monosodium glutamate, mm-hmm. right? So you take too much of that, and then your brain just starts to swell up and freak out because uh, you have this really excitatory neuro- neurotransmitter now in abundance from an external source. So 
Um, that's why, you know, people that are really good at cooking bone, bone broth, you know, it's all about getting just the, the temperatures and the timing just right. So you get the maximum of the plus without, uh, and you can taste, I think anyone with a refined bone broth palate <laughs> can taste uh, a broth that's been cooked just right and one that's been cooked to the point where it's acrid. And that acrid taste is all those excess amino acids that can be quite irritating. Mm. Um, before you go too far or any further with the idea <laughs> of bone broth, um, maybe we should give folks kind of a, a quick and dirty uh, synopsis of what bone broth uh, at a basic uh, list of ingredients could or should be. Uh, well, I mean, if you're going to go for something you really want to enjoy, you're going to want to soak your bones uh, in vinegar and cold water for about an hour. And that helps break down a protective membrane on the surface of most uh, animal bones. And then you're going to want to heat it up to the point where they're getting a, a sort of just pre-boil kind of things, but there should be some bubbles. And then you're going to turn it down to what's called a rolling simmer, which should be between 200 to 210, where there's just enough movement within the water that you have what's called convection. So that, um, you know, as the minerals and proteins and stuff can kind of be simmered off of the bones, they can keep moving away from the bones. I mean, it's sort of a imagery thing, but uh, as long as there's a little bit of movement, it's great. If the temperature is too high, you're going to end up damaging the proteins and you know, taking them from a nice, happy gelatin kind of thing to that glutamate problem. So mm -hmm. it's tricky. What most people do is after they cook the bones for at least 24 hours or more, uh, again, at that low temperature, is they pull the bones out, squish them down if they can be squished, scrape out the marrow if that's a possibility. Um, and at that point, they're going to put the bones back in and add things like celery, onions, carrots, and stuff. Um, in the in classical culinary terms, that's called a new foie, which is the perfect way to make a broth. Yeah. And then you cook that down for another night or so, and then strain it all off, and then you've got this lovely, flavorful, you know, slight uh, layer of fat on top. Yummy broth. Yeah. And um, for the sake of our listener who probably hasn't read your cookbook <laughs> well, i'm gonna help you right here uh, my, <laughs> michael has a cookbook um the ancestor no returning to an ancestral diet that's what it's called yeah there we go uh, a very thick cookbook which has a number of um uh, pages uh, prefacing all the recipes uh, talking about health uh, from his perspective and there is definitely a bone broth recipe and section in there so um how can people find out more about the book uh, you can go to my website, uh, integrativehealthsolutions.ca, and uh, you can either order the ebook right there and just will be in your email with a receipt from, I guess, PayPal. And, uh, or you can order the actual book itself. It's uh, 1.3 kilograms, so it's a bit expensive to ship, uh, but it's worth it. It's got 500 gourmet recipes from around the world. So, Yeah, definitely a... Uh coffee table book <laughs> what's a coffee table itself <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's kind of what i was thinking <laughs> okay so uh people know that they should be cooking bone broth bone broth um for a certain amount of time a certain amount of time isn't good mm -hmm. um was there any more that you wanted to say about that uh no i just wanted to bring that up as you know it's i guess just part of the brand of who i am and what i'm always talking about and i think this fusion health radio kind of expands its horizons I think, you know, actually we're going to hopefully interview a man named Lance Roll, who's uh, called uh, Lance the Flavor Chef from San Diego, who actually has a brothery, the original commercial brothery in Western USA. Not to be confused with a brothel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I'll just not go there. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I, I met him at a, a, an event back in the fall, and he actually said we should try and open a brothery in Canada together, and that's something that I think is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also said I'd love to be on your podcast, so he could cool. be our first non-UNI guest. <laughs> yeah, well, um, that means we'll have to figure out what we're doing before he gets here. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's in San Diego, so we're going to have to do it through whatever... The magic of the internet. Yeah, yeah, that'll work. Um, all right, so uh, bone broth definitely uh, at the top of the list. Um, one of the things I wanted to say about bone broth is how um, uh, curative and healing it was for me in terms of uh, gut digestive issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my own research and understanding of what that was before I came to you was pretty high. And then I got into it with you and was like, oh, wow, <laughs> this is really cool. And since we're doing stories, um, this may be personal, but... Uh, I hadn't been on a plane in like 20 years. And then I went through, I think, two or three planes to get to this meeting. And I was kind of frazzled. And when I got to the hotel, there was a glitch with how much my credit card could, you know, actually cough up every day. And the exchange between Canada and the U.S. put me over some stupid limit. So I'm freaking out about how I'm going to do all this stuff. But the next day we go to this big meeting and it's really busy. And uh, so I'm going to this big party where he's, Lance is actually catering the event. And, uh, I basically snuggled up next to him, but in the, in the kitchen, chatting about recipes and, uh, the person's house. They had a copy of my cookbook. So I was doing Photoshop or photo ops with people with the book, but I was just reaching over, taking little shooters of bone broth. <laughs> and I, I'm not kidding. As any, within 20 minutes, I went from feeling like I was, you know, living with weird jet lag anxiety to completely grounded and present and charming and happy. And hmm. it was, it was actually, like for me, one of the most amazingly tangible things I've ever seen with bone broth, because right. I was feeling really wound up and you know weirded out by being in a big city and stuff. And well, that's something you don't see on the internet every day. Credit card blues cured by bone broth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and jet lag as well. Wow, yeah. very cool. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a, a healthy thing. I mean, I remember reading um, tons of information about uh, the GAPS diet and the GAPS protocol, G A P S, and how that. Um, method of healing if you will uh was used to address um kids who are autistic and how their um their gut and their digestive issues were uh, vastly improved uh just by using uh, bone broth and mind you it's a it's a very extreme protocol for them to be going on um and i didn't know that i needed to go to that extreme but certainly i was impressed that um taking something as simple um and as old-fashioned as bone broth and how that could um in a way heal my brain you know heal heal my gut and heal grumpiness, depression, um, farting, <laughs> just a whole host of things that were going wrong. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's TMI or not, but <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so, so bone broth, uh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Next on your list. We're, we're t- uh, so just remind uh, the listener as we've been <laughs> getting sidetracked by credit cards and farts, <laughs> supporting and celebrating your brain is what we're talking about today. Yeah. So the next thing that I think most of us are going to need to uh, have a little conversation with ourselves with uh, is just the fact that, you know, our brain needs a lot of fat. It needs a lot of cholesterol and something called choline. And for the last 50, 60 years, as most of us are still aware, we've been you know, mentally conditioned to believe that fat causes cholesterol problems, which scientifically doesn't really make any sense at all. But anyway, we've been, we've been running under the, the terrifying umbrella of fat's going to hurt you. 
and it's not. So, you know, if your brain's mostly made of fat and cholesterol and choline, it seems like having that in your diet would be good for your brain. Mm -hmm. The important thing about fat, though, and cholesterol is you don't want to actually cook it at a very high temperature. You know, and most of us, when we think of, you know, I'm going to have a big fatty piece of, you know, hamburger or something, then we fry it, that actually damages the actual physical structure of the fat. And it's the same thing with cholesterol. Uh, If you have healthy, flexible, fluffy, you know, happy cholesterol, which, you know, medically you can't actually ingest enough cholesterol in a day to meet your body or your brain's needs for cholesterol. Uh, so again, obviously going on a low cholesterol diet is bad, but more importantly, again, is how you cook it. Uh, or if you're eating things that have like uh, processed powdered eggs or other things that are going to bring uh, oxidized cholesterol into your body, because that's actually the biggest culprit when it comes to arteriosclerosis and cardiovascular disease. It's not the cholesterol, it's the oxidized cholesterol. So that's a big thing. Choline isn't really something that you're going to find in big amounts in a lot of things besides egg yolks and liver and maybe fish eggs and stuff. But you can get a sunflower lecithin um, in most health food stores and add that to a smoothie. It's got a earthy kind of note to your smoothie. But Mm -hmm. that would be like the first go-to things for anyone, especially probably after 40 or 50 years old, who's... Uh, concerned about memory, cognition, focus, or anyone who's, you know, in their elder years who's actively trying to make sure Alzheimer's isn't going to be in their future. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if uh, we need to say this or not, but it would be a good idea to source something that's uh, uh, non-GMO. Yeah. Especially just when you said the word sunflower, all of a sudden my Monsanto radar (laughs) came up and said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Yeah, we could do a podcast on why genetically modified food is, like, there's layers and layers to how bad that is for us. Yeah, wow. terrifying. Uh, there you go. No, duly noted. Um, what's else on the list? Um, fat's great because it brings in fat-soluble vitamins. Okay. And they're <clears throat> primarily basically going to be vitamin D, A, uh, K, and E. And uh, when it comes to people with any kind of immune system dysfunction, dysregulation, even autoimmune disease, uh, certain kind of allergies, uh, vitamin D and its other fat-soluble vitamins uh, in abundance actually can modulate your immune system in a way that can keep it from being a bit of a bad person. <laughs> um, you know, cause as long as it's not overreacting, it's not going to cause the symptoms of whatever the reaction is. Hmm. So keeping your immune system in the middle of the road is the best place for it to be. Yeah. I think it, it gives it the opportunity to, um, retreat if it needs to and, uh, attack if it needs to, right? Well, I think, I, I mean, I don't know if this imagery has come up on the podcast yet, but um, the image I usually use in the clinic is imagine you're driving a car down a very long bridge. And if it starts to, you know, drift to the left, eventually you're going to start hitting the railing and there's going to be sparks flying. Right? You're still going down the bridge. Now it's just an action movie with sparks flying. And that represents one pathway of an aggressive immune system that's dealing with something either inside your cells or outside your cells. And as long as you can steer back into the middle of the bridge, yay, no sparks, no symptoms, hopefully no uh, hidden process of disease. If it drifts the other way, obviously it's now hitting the other side of the bridge, sparks flying, symptoms, tissue damage, and stuff like that. And that's another pathway that has a different immune system kind of function, but it's all about reaction. So immune modulation is keeping the car in the middle of the bridge so that there's no sparks and no tissue damage or disease process allowed to continue. So a pretty boring action movie. 
Yeah, yeah. It turns out most of the ideas I have for really, really functional stuff is really boring with respect to modern TV. You know, <laughs> sitcom with a completely functional family. Um, boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that would be actually really kind of interesting to watch for about four minutes. Yeah, <laughs> if you, if I even last that long. Um, okay, so uh, where were we? Yeah, Fat soluble vitamins, right, really, but, really, really important. Got it. Especially for immune modulation. And uh, fat-soluble vitamins are? Vitamin D, A, E, and K. And a good source would be? Fat and vegetables. Um, any kind of fat, though? Like uh, oh, Well, the idea is fat is the carrier, so as long as you have a lot of dressing on your salad mm-hmm. and a lot of vegetables in your salad besides leaves, then the likelihood of you extracting those vitamins and bringing them into your body with a good fat, there you are. Right. And you've, mm. said, you've said this before, and I can't remember if it's been on podcast or not, but how... Uh, happy the stomach and digestive system is when um, a piece of broccoli is not just a piece of broccoli in my stomach when it's actually slathered in some kind of fatty dressing or butter or whatever it is. And it's going to induce your pancreas to secrete 10 times the volume of actual uh, enzymes. Which gives you 10 times the opportunity to get nutrition out of what it was that was covered in fat. Yeah, and again, that's an instinctual ancestral thing around evolution, which basically proves that fat's been the most important and the hardest to consistently access nutrient because if your pancreas is now 10 times more excited to get all of the molecules in your now lathered up piece of broccoli, it's actually going after the fat, not after the broccoli. Hmm. And um, I think most people know this, but uh, I always remember hearing this with any kind of culinary training or uh, cooking shows, whatever, the flavors in the fat. Yeah, I mean, in, in a gourmet restaurant, they're almost always going to put a teaspoon or a tablespoon, depending on the meal. Uh, fat in the pan just before they stir it and put it on your plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll definitely um, activate all the good health and as well as uh, the good tastes. Um, okay, fats, what's next? So there's a lot of background juggling that goes on in actually maintaining proper production of neurotransmitters. And, you know, we all think, oh, if I need more uh, serotonin, I should get some 5-HTP. Um, I want more dopamine, I'll take more L-tyrosine. And those are like the protein parts. But behind the scenes, uh, things like vitamin B12, iron, uh, something called P- P5P, which is the active form of vitamin B6, um, zinc, magnesium, uh, they're essential. Uh, <clears throat> obviously, all the minerals we talked about previously. Uh, if you don't have all of those in abundance actually inside your brain, uh, your pineal gland and other structures in the brain can't effectively organize the production of normal uh, neurotransmitters and uh, i mean we've been running with this thing forever uh around you know depression or anxiety is something to do with too much or not enough of neurotransmitters but no one's ever been able to prove that right because especially in the western world it's not like we're all suddenly deficient of tryptophan in our diets in some way Hmm. so the the new thinking is basically that uh it's much more complex in the background as to why your body isn't producing the neurotransmitters enough with probably more than enough of the actual amino acids necessary. And there's actually a, a person I'd love to have on the podcast. She's actually a medically trained certified psychiatrist, works in downtown New York, and uh, <laughs> uh, has a book coming out, which I don't remember the name of, but uh, I've seen her on a couple of other, uh, I don't know, summits and sessions and other people's podcasts and stuff and she will not prescribe a pharmaceutical drug for depression 
It's all a nutritional approach. It's all nutrition, mindset, meditation, exercise, and she's a genius, like in terms of her actual research and clinical experience and stuff. But it's also just really fun to hear a mainstream psychiatrist just bank the whole pharmaceutical thing <laughs> with with science, not just because she's you know against it for some other reason. Cool. Uh, what's her name? I think it's Kelly Brogan, but I'm mm-hmm. gonna just parenthesize that with. I think. Yeah, right. <laughs> cool. But I, I mean, she's on the top 10 people I'd love to have a conversation with on Fusion Health Radio just because she's so, she's got such a powerful message for people and she's got the science right there in her, in her front of her head. Yeah. Well, Kelly, if you're listening, <laughs> message us on Facebook now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've been talking about, uh, fat and vitamins and minerals and that sort of thing. And the question that comes up for me is, um, it are vitamins when i say vitamins supplements like i go to a health food store or a drug store wherever it is and i see like this myriad of things that i can take out of a bottle is that like the best way or is do you have sort of a um I was trying to derail the, the the podcast here into another podcast what do you have to say about supplementation in terms of what you're talking about today with uh, supporting uh, the brain uh i think it's a really good way to go because you're and this is almost like when um, diet and mindset become, I don't know, 1 plus 1 equals 10. Mm. So it's one thing to be bringing in substrates that are hopefully bioavailable, that are hopefully going to actually end up in your blood and obviously in the context of this in your brain. But there's also the thing of, okay, if I'm taking these pills, then I'm probably not going to have that extra double espresso because, oh yeah, I'm trying to do something really healthy for myself. Or maybe I'll have a better breakfast if I go out with my friends or... Um, I will get to bed on time because I just spent $60 or $600 or whatever dollars on my new little fun, you know, pile of bottles on my counter. And, um, that's one thing I think that the, called the shamanic, uh, process of just every day going, I'm putting this in my body because I'm trying to solve a problem. And that in itself is what I call the placebo effect or how coherence works, you know, subtly in between the heart and brain. It just, it's an attitude shift. You know, it's a Pilcota subtle hack on, on how, you know, healing actually works because you're complicit and you're consistent, you know. And obviously the supplements uh, have enough benefit to be given some credibility by, you know, things like the FDA in the States and the, you know, Canada version of that in Canada where they're like, okay, we can see that there's, you know, things that are good for people in here. So here's a number that says we've actually tested your product and it's good for people. Hmm. So uh, the short answer is supplements are pretty good yeah but i mean i guess i just wanted to say you know in the sense of they're really good but in a way that i really want people to be aware of i mean actually you know feel all sketchy and weird saying this out loud on a microphone because it's sort of a strange thing but i ask many of my patients to actually put the supplements in their hand and blow on them and ask them to do a really good job Hmm. and i mean that that just makes me think of um uh saying your saying grace before a meal yeah you know that the 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 intention because uh, I, I can remember being at large family dinners when I was a kid and seeing all this yummy food on the table and taking a moment to actually say grace uh, some in some way. Um, but it always occurred to me that um, that was kind of silly. But as I got older, I started to realize that it was, I mean, silly because I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And as I got older, I realized that it was something more healthful to actually be aware of the people that I was sitting with, the food that was in front of me, where it came from. You know, there, there's some days 
when I sit down in front of my smoothie jar for breakfast in the morning and it takes me five minutes to sort of list through all the people I can think of that actually had something to do with this and say thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed on those days, things actually taste better. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it in many families that I personally spend time with for whatever reason. Nowadays, it's people are texting each other at the dinner table. Yeah. <laughs> Pass the salt. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> where's, the, where's the pepper emoji? Yeah. Okay. So uh, back to supporting and celebrating your brain. Uh, yep. We've been talking about uh, vitamins and minerals. Yep. Um, Tissue support. Right. Yep. Um, what else is it that we can be taking? Well, I mean, there's a whole list that I'll go through real quick. Uh, they're all called nootropics, which basically means good for the function of your brain. I have no idea why that word probably some Latin or Greek thing, but uh, you can go, if you type in like nootropics, you'll find websites and all they have to offer you is these really amazingly weird, potent uh, concoctions that improve your brain. Hmm. So my personal favorite is something called vimpocetine. I usually take it every day, especially on clinic days or if I'm writing, because I just find myself very present, very focused. My memory is all there and I don't, you know, the, oh, I want to check Facebook distraction. This doesn't really seem to come up. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> the cure for Facebook, if anything else. And it basically functions by just improving vascular circulation. And it's extracted from, I think, uh, it's from a plant pennyroyal. So. Oh, pennyroyal. Yeah, that's what I read. So I'm going to stop you there for a second. This, this is, this is my brain ping-ponging around with everything you're saying because it's so exciting. So, um, are you saying that if one has better brain health, if one supports, uh, tissue function in the brain better, one has better capacity to, um, control impulses urges like you know squirrel facebook yep. you know getting sidetracked by life yeah i mean that's technically me it's gonna sound like i'm being an insulting person but i'm not <laughs> um obviously if you have something that improves focus the opposite which is distraction and you know compulsion is not going to be as much of a thing hmm, very cool okay so what was it again the, the word you used for vimpocetine no no a new or oh, uh, nootropics 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 okay so vimpocetine is one Yep. Um, anything else? Well, there's a kind of a list of common ones. Uh, there's what's called alpha GPC, which is uh, a form of something called acetylcholine. And acetylcholine is sort of like the frontline present, either thinking or writing or singing or Facebooking or whatever uh, in your brain in the sense of what you're actually doing with thought and what you're doing in the sense of learning. So it's it's, it's like the immediate part of your brain. And if you don't have enough acetylcholine, you're going to be like trying to remember what it was you were trying to trying to remember share on Facebook, or whatever. Um, because we were just sort of in this haze place. But it, when, once you start bringing up the acetylcholine in the brain, um, everyone's just like, "Wow, I mean, I could go and meditate and have a really good meditation, or I could actually finally write that letter to my ex and you know apologize for whatever we did to each other." <laughs> sure. You know, so there's that, uh, L-theanine, which is an amino acid, uh, it's been known for a very long time to basically just settle and improve mood. So sorry, Uh, say that again, L-theanine? L-theanine. Like L-carnine or L-arginine or? It's one of the 20 L's, yeah. Okay, (laughs) that's what I'm trying to say, it's one of those L ones. It's one of the L ones. Okay. Um, so again, better mood, better, uh, stress resiliency and response. Uh, it's a mild stimulant in the sense of you're going to feel a sense of elevated energy and uh, availability to the world. Um, yeah, so, and it's also protective of the actual structure of ne- the neurotransmitters in your brain, or actually, sorry, the, the neurons in your brain. 
something called uh, Drifinil. Uh, it's, you know, pretty techy, geeky little compound that somebody came up with. Uh, super good for memory, focus, and alertness. So it's, it's considered sort of a go-to thing for college students who are cramming. Mm. Um, another one uh, is called Paracetam. Uh, that's sort of a new modern one. There was a previous, more, I don't know, bonky version of it about 10 years ago, but this is the new one. And this is the one a lot of people refer to as the limitless, uh, thing in your brain because, um. So limitless the movie. Yeah, limitless movie or there's actually a TV show limitless now, which is, actually, oh. I really like that. It. It's fun. Okay. It's probably the one TV show or of five that I'd actually watch if I have time to watch a show. <laughs> a little, I don't know. I'm judgy about TV. <laughs> Anyway, so you're going to have like improved, tangibly improved, uh, sensory perception. You know, you're going to just notice more. Uh, you're going to have way better focus. You're going to learn super, super quickly and your memory is going to be solid. Uh, and you know, kind of in the, uh, context of the show or the movie, uh, that stuff's dangerous if you overdo it. Mm -hmm. And then you can hurt yourself. Uh, and come on, coming off of it can be a bit bonky. So, right. Well, I, I think that goes with, uh, Anything that you're suggesting here that certainly people need to um, question what they're doing before they do it instead mm -hmm. of downing a whole bottle of something. And yeah, I'd research that and just type in side effects or especially combinations of other things that, that you may be on, other medications and stuff. Just because the more of a race car any supplement we take is, the more an accident is likely to happen with the other cars on the road of your physiology. So Yeah, sure. Um, and the... Nootropics. Mm -hmm. um, so somewhere in my mind right now, I'm thinking of all the things I've seen in the media. Uh, I've never done acid. <laughs> you know, like all the you know the, the trippy stuff that you do with your brain is all chemical. Mm -hmm. um, are nootropics chemical based, or are they actually? Uh, depends on which ones. Some of them are you know basically normal things that are in the food supply in small amounts, and then some of them are actually you know coerced into a very specific structure. Okay. Huh. But uh, again, would they be considered? Um, like a regulated, um, in, in some parts of the world, even vimposatines, it's considered a pharmaceutical drug. Oh, wow. You know, I think that's in Hungary and part of Eastern Europe where they first figured it out. But in Canada, there's no, not enough research for them to say either way, but it's can be food, uh, sold as basically, uh, a food based or plant based nutritional supplement. So uh, I guess the upshot of all this is that, uh, everyone's looking at, uh, nootropics. Uh, they need to really do some homework before they start ingesting these things. Well, I mean, if you're starting with the basic stuff that's going to be in your diet anyway, for sure, you're probably safe. But if anything, it's more of a chemical, for sure you want to check it out. Yeah. I would say that if uh, if people had questions about that sort of thing, you know, at a, at a general level, they could probably reach out and message you through the Facebook page yep. or that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I consult with people all over the planet now, so yeah, way to go for the podcast. Yay, internet. <laughs> Go team. So uh, I brought this up at every other podcast about the brain, so I just gonna do it one last time. Uh, if you're in exercising intensely enough to have to gasp for air, you know, do five minutes of burpees or running up a mountain hill or something like that, if that's safe for you, <laughs> talk to your doctor first. Um, and or using something like intermittent fasting, you're gonna change the way your brain produces what's called BDNF or brain drive neurotrophic factor. And like nootropics or neurotrophic, it means improved growth. So you could be taking all this tissue support uh, as food, as supplements and stuff, but you're going to get all of the benefit if you actually make your brain uh, get smarter. And I explained why that works uh, in previous podcasts and stuff like that. But uh, 
intense exercise, fasting, simple. Yeah, uh, simple. And certainly something that we went through in depth in the last podcast. Yep. Yeah, sure. Um, so that's a pretty extensive list. Is there anything more about you can say about uh, well, I think that, co- that covers tissue support. Um, the word support comes up for some reason, and I got all touchy-feely, and I'm thinking, yeah, we'll just also keep in mind, we brought up this in a couple of podcasts ago, that communication is something your brain's always doing with itself, and the better you're at communicating with the people around you and getting enough of you know good connection with other people, that's essential to human health. Like there's your, you know, basically the the whole new meme on the uh, on the internet around addiction is uh, it's all about being separate from other people and spending too much time alone and you know masking your loneliness with whatever addiction you have. And people who are trying to resolve addiction, you know, to you go to AA or some other group where you all sit around and say hi, I'm like I'm an alcoholic or whatever. Um, and then you take that even farther to really deep in depth communication with family and friends. The, the statistics around that, around addiction, are better than anything else we've got. Mm. You know, it's like 25% of people who can go to AA will actually get the benefit of sobriety, but they have to be going to meetings like two or three times a week. People who take that opportunity and spend more time with, you know, people, if it's their church or their yoga class or whatever, really actually actively getting real deep connection. I mean, that the statistics on that, plus taking, say, did uh, you support for the aspects of the brain that are most affected by addiction, it's 75% of those people maintain sobriety without having to go to meetings all of the time because they have a go-to thing around connection. So, well, It's fascinating to, to sort of understand and hear you talk about um, brain health and how that affects um, society, mm-hmm. you know, individuals well, guess, in their own lives. And I'm not really just thinking about, you know, the people that are hearing us talk, you know, like I really want people to go and act on what we're talking about and be touched by the opportunity, uh, as simple as to even talking to a stranger. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was teaching uh, Chinese medicine years ago, I'd actually make the students go out and talk to strangers. And while they're talking to them, what the person was like in the sense of, you know, this guy's a jerk or you know, he's looking at my boobs or whatever, but, um, you have to just appreciate the person for who they are while diagnosing their face and their eyes and their tongue and their ears because that's what Chinese doctors do. And it was one of the best experiences the students ever got because they just, okay, I have to, you know, go and find a stranger and make friends with them even if I don't like them. And that became the thing is they kept doing it with like people that are more and more different from them in terms of, you know, lifestyle or the way people dress or the music you listen to. And they were just like, this is the best exercise I've ever done for myself is to just go meet and be kind and be interested in strangers that are actually people you typically would rather avoid. Wow. And I think of ways that I've learned things in the past and certainly learning something so that I can share it with someone else has always been a powerful uh, learning tool for me. And certainly, I mean, that's why we're sitting down here, I think, Mm. for us to be able to impart wisdom. uh, Well, you to be imparting wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're helping out. Come on. (laughs) Um, and, and sharing that with other people, my, my hope is that the listener is actually, um, you know, taking whatever it is that we find um, and going down that rabbit hole and finding other people to go down that rabbit hole with them and sharing what they have and, you know, inspiring a conversation or, you know, an hour of research on the net and then going to talking to their partner or spouse or their kid or the postman or whoever it is about what it is they learned in hopes that that actually um, promotes the show, which is a good thing. But it, it also further... It, it, it bolsters their own understanding and integration of the information that they're hearing. 
and I'm going to be quick with this, but my personal primary really serious beef uh, with the way Western medicine is practiced or as we've rebranded them as the pharmaceutical people right. um, is it's created a very passive model. As patients, we just sit around and wait and see what happens next. You know, well, I'll take this drug or you're going to chop that out and then I wait and see what happens next. And I mean, how many people get their appendix out, their gallbladder out, you know, whatever, and they're just, well, good luck. We did our thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the uh, I remember my neighbor, a uh, place I lived at a couple years back. He had severe gallbladder pla- attacks, um, and within um, 24 hours, he had his gallbladder out. But he was also uh, I saw him coming back from the hospital with the old um, McDonald's <laughs> bag. Um, oh, be- that must have hurt. <laughs> be- because he didn't, you know, he didn't think any better. He didn't know that that was actually part of his body and an important part. And what it did. He just knew that it hurt, so it had to go, uh, which is another podcast. Yeah, but I guess I'm just bringing that up and, and speaking directly to the people listening is you may also have been taught to be passive with mm. your health. Right. So every time something comes up, it's an opportunity. Embrace the opportunity to be assertive and curious because until that's your go-to thing with every part of your life, everything's just going to keep piling up if it's dysfunctional communication in your marriage, if it's trying to figure out how to work with your company, your boss, your employees, whatever. I mean, the more passive we are, the more it becomes a crisis eventually. And then we're wanting to blame somebody and beat ourselves up. But assertive, creative people get stuff done. Well, when you say assertive and creative, I think of uh, the creative process that I go through. And I know my brain feels like it's on fire sometimes when I'm in my creative space. Um, And I can only imagine that would be like the best possible thing for my brain to be um, working out on a creative problem. So what can we talk about in terms of ways to get our brains to light up? <laughs> well, this is where we get into the celebration part. Yeah. So if we're going to celebrate our brain, first thing to do is to just realize um, you can choose your thoughts. Okay. Now, one of my favorite quotes uh, comes from uh, Meister Eckhart back from I think the 14th century or something like that. Uh, his saying was, all beings come into being in a state of being. All beings come into being in a state of being. Right? No, I mean, you could just sit there and go, well, duh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or you can say, oh, that's a really great hack or opportunity to choose my state of being. Because if I'm not being passive, I'm being assertive, creative uh, in a direction. Maybe I'll just choose to breathe deeply, have a good posture, keep eye contact with other people, you know, be aware that weird facial expressions make other people feel weird and uh, go out of my way, that tiny little tiny increment to say, I think I'm just going to choose my attitude now Hmm. and now and now. (laughs) I'm sorry. Now. (laughs) I'm not sorry. Now. (laughs) Um, I read an article today in the New York Times that talked about how uh, iPhones um, and surfing on your iPhone and on your device. The article talked about iPhones. It could be anything. Mm-hmm. And how that uh, posture, um, called the eye posture, <laughs> I think is what, <laughs> what people were calling it, and how being hunched over devices um, is uh, something that aggravates, aggravates, exacerbates, uh, instigates uh, depression. Yep. Uh, that that sort of um, low-frequency brain activity combined with um, a kind of 
huddled over, hunched up kind of. Yeah, you're going to have 30% of your breath capacity in that posture, as well as you're in a mildly anticipatory state. And unless you're famous enough to get all the likes and shares you expect from whatever you're doing in social media, um, which I'm still trying to learn from you, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, you're sitting in this ennui of disappointment. You know, I'm on my friend and, you know, you know, hashtag whatever. I have no idea how that stuff works. But um, again, unless you're at the top of the social media pile, you're sliding down the social media pile of popularity. So, we, you know, we have our high school you know, in trained Western egos going like, oh man, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go eat worms. Yeah. Well, that's the, um, you know, when you get that little red notification thing on your phone or on your device saying you have a text message or you have some kind of a notification on one of your apps. I mean, that's, how did somebody describe it once? That's the itch you cannot not scratch. You know, you have to, it's like, oh, somebody likes me. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. But it, it, I mean, there's the downside to it too. Uh, yeah, we could do a whole podcast on, yeah. social media and the well actually there's one i'll throw down there if you don't mind sure um and you i guess i have to admit to a past using uh, uh things like ayahuasca and psilocybin and peyote and other stuff in a ceremonial traditional kind of indigenous context but um i'm familiar with what psychoactive plants and other things do um i had this weird epiphany once in that kind of space where it occurred to me that all the people that say they've seen aliens um, are having a DMT flash, which is what produces hallucinations, of what our genes are asking us. If that's Is that really what you want it to look like in 10,000 years? Because mm. if you think about it, if we sit here and spend the next 10,000 years eating crap food, our bone structure is going to change and our jaw is going to disappear because we don't need to chew anything anymore. We're going to have big, big eyes because we spend all of our days staring at screens and really long, weak arms with buddy little fingers for keyboarding all day. <laughs> so, kind of a goofy looking Tyrannosaurus Rex. I well, whatever. But I was just thinking, you know, it's kind of interesting as, as a momentary epiphany that, yes, in fact, if we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to look like that in 10,000 years because we're not going to need bodies. We're just going to need long keyboarding fingers and big eyes for staring at stuff. Mm. So that that's I admit that's weird, but it's just my go-to thing. Um, we've over overdone the whole computer thing, right? Um, so let's see if we can swing the pendulum back towards <laughs> the podcast topic of celebrating our brain. That sounds uh, like a good idea. The, the but you know we've been sort of rattling on here about how um, uh, devices and doing things that sort of uh, numb the brain um, aren't necessarily a good thing. Um, what are some things that uh, that do sort of light the brain up and make it creative and uh, the, so far, but my research says the thing you could do the most without spending a penny uh, is basically you just start singing. Singing? Yeah. Hmm. You're breathing deep. You're expressing uh, your creative, assertive self by trying to get your you know notes right. You're in the present moment. Um, and more importantly, you're actually vibrating your skull bones in a way that actually improves the tissue and the clearance of your brain. So there's actually some physiological health benefit to singing. I mean, I mean honestly, I, as I sit there downloading from the encyclopedia in my head all the stuff I could say about that, it would be a podcast. That's very interesting. So karaoke is a good thing. Well, you're good singing. <laughs> well, I mean, even if you're not. I mean, so um, you don't have to be a good singer. You just have to be singing. Or drunk. <laughs> yeah. Well, if that's what it takes in order to get you singing. But singing in the shower, singing in the car, yep. any of that sort of thing is all... Yeah, I mean, I personally have a playlist on YouTube 
where I just press play and then I get my guitar and I just play along and sing with people. Very neat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, YouTube is, I think, the world's best karaoke machine. There you go. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun with that with mm-hmm. friends for yeah, sure. I, mean, I also sing like Sweat Lodge songs, you know, from the mm-hmm. First Nation part of my, my life. And, uh, I mean, those songs, you really have to be belting it out. And they're, they're really like a pretty intense pitch and stuff. But, you know, you get 30 people in a Sweat Lodge all singing, you know, their butts off. At you know full throttle and everyone walks out of there and you're you got all kinds of fun endorphins swimming around from just singing your butt off. Yeah, I've had a mild experience of that just uh, witnessing those sorts of events, mm-hmm. not not necessarily being the one pounding on the drum or singing in in tongues or whatever it is that, <laughs> <laughs> that comes up. So um, singing just makes me think the next thing's got to be dancing. Yeah, absolutely, man. The okay. next thing is dancing. So what about it? <laughs> Anthony gets the cookie for <laughs> the the very healthy bone broth cookie. Ding. <laughs> yeah, so dancing again, you're present in the moment. You're interacting hopefully with a crowd of other people, and if by yourself you're interacting with music. Uh there's an obviously kind of uh left right dexterity to dancing. You're gonna be in a posture with your legs bent for the most part. I've never really done any maybe except robot dancing with my legs locked, so you know, that, that changes your, your central nervous system's attitude just by bending your knees and moving around. And we had talked about in the uh, previous podcast around martial arts and, you know, that, that kind of affect your health just by being in a, in a kind of predatory crouch. So dancing is, I mean, probably the best exercise ever. When we talk about celebrating the brain, it almost sounds like, so these are my ideas here, I'm just going to say them all out, mm-hmm. um, giving the body something to do based on um, some external stimulus um, makes the connection between the brain and the body um, happen in all kinds of wonderful ways. Yeah, being playfully present. Hmm. I mean, you know, go back to the Tao Te Ching of you know Taoism. Uh, you know, that which is alive is like youthful behavior, childlike. That which is you know uh, dying is old and brittle. Hmm. And when you say play, um, I mean, dancing and singing is playful. That's exactly it. Yeah. Wow. Um, so what's next on the list? Well, taking play to a place where there may be consequences. Consequences. How do you mean? Well, there's like rough play, rough sex, um, um, running through like, you know, now like, uh, free running is becoming a thing where you run and you actually, you know, dive you know, head first in the ground, do a, a roll, come back up, you know, shake your, you know, fist in the air because you didn't die and keep running or you could be doing cartwheels or that. I mean, look at parkour. I mean, and I just talked to someone, it was a couple of months ago, there was a 64-year-old woman who was like having a hard time with her arthritis and she lived in this building with lots of stairs and she was like, I have to have to move, I can't believe it, I'm old and I'm sick. And her grandchild being young, and playful and present. It's like, come on, grandma, I'm going to teach you parkour. <laughs> so they went to the bottom of the stairs and she hopped up a stair. Then she learned to get, she could hop down up to and then down to. And over the space of six months, she was free running at 65. Wow. I mean, at a 65 year old version of free running, but from a um, poor decrepit woman better get a wheelchair or, you know, an apartment building with an elevator to like kick ass parkour grandma. <laughs> And did that improve her uh, arthritis? Everything, everything. Because you're playing. I mean, we're primates for crying out loud. If we're out playing, we're being chased by something scary. (laughs) Oh, 
Interesting. And so, um, just your words at the beginning, the rough play, you said rough sex as well? Oh, uh, well, I guess that's sort of a weird thing to just drop and not comment on. But well, that's why I'm asking you to comment right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, there's lots of different boundaries with uh, sexual play, mm-hmm. sexual, you know, uh, intercourse, that by pushing against a little bit of a boundary in one way or another, um, we create a kind of intimacy because unexpected things happen, you know, a different kind of endorphin release happens because we're not, you know, oh, it's Sunday morning, I've been married for 20 years, right? It's like, okay, let's just, you know, well, I'm trying to, I can't say anything right now without being really graphic. So, and there's kids who hear this, <clears throat> so we'll probably won't go there. But there's something to be being um, so deeply connected with your partner whomever that is, uh, to a way where you can actually um, incorporate play or um, tickling or giggling or, you know, uh, that sort of thing. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, that, 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 that sort of thing, again, is just another form of playing. Yeah. And it brings up the idea of surprise. Mm-hmm. I mean, kids play to the point where someone gets hurt every 45 minutes. Right. They'll just take it to the next level. They'll push up against the boundary. And then, oh, Billy's crying because he, you know, hurt his knee or you know, didn't like what Sally did or whatever. But it's the surprise moment which actually puts us into the best learning state. Something new is happening. Is it good? Is it bad? Can we do it again? I don't know. Right. Well, and that, that just comes to um, ideas that I've read about how uh, playing in a playground, like a jungle gym or, and that sort of thing, is so good for a child's um, brain development. Um, that's another podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I just uh, I just had a flash of uh, going to stand-up comedy comedy, you know. So someday I'm going to do some stand-up comedy. I don't know when. It's on my bucket list. But I'm a big fan of just going to stand-up comedy or I have playlists on YouTube of great comedians because they are basically our little ninja shamans of surprise because that's why we laugh, you know, blah, blah, blah. But Punchline. <laughs> right. You know, and, and we're all perfectly happy to line up and pay for someone else to provide that for us because it's instinctually like way better than almost anything else you could do with your evening and that's a pretty old term laughter is good medicine but yeah you you're saying that that's something that actually um uh reinforces brain development yeah i mean and it kind of falls under that thing around the rough side of things because it's all about surprise and being able to stand up in uh in a relationship with some boundary Try and pass it in some way to be able to handle the consequences, be they, you know, a, a skinned knee uh, or a whole new thing you do on Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay. So plays, uh, playing is one thing. Um, that just makes me think of, uh, what about like uh, playing cards? Or uh, I think cards is more of an analytical kind of statistics thing. So it's still good for your attention and being able to uh, maintain certain faculties of intelligence and, but you know in, in that i want to say uh, like board games and that sort of stuff is that sort of play still i think it's i mean close but i would say the more associative games like uh pictionary or something where you're in a room with people and the anticipation of people figuring out what it is that you're pantomiming or drawing or uh charades is the old classic i guess mm-hmm. you know because you're in the present moment you're in that you know a, a more alert state you know, and anticipate, anticipating uh, the mild competition, and it's always around humor, mm. you know, because, I mean, that's the best thing after a dinner party is doing something together where we're all goofing around laughing. Yeah. And, I mean, there's adult versions. There's obviously kid versions. 
Um, but, you know, and I mean, this is going to get me into trouble with some people, but um, there's a certain kind of associative uh, faculty of the brain when you're doing really big video games that have really big, you know, buildings or worlds or what people call sandboxes and, and stuff where you're in the present moment associating your uh, anticipatory, you know, win or loss uh, while having to remember a whole bunch of details about, you know, the game you're playing. You know, it'd be much better, obviously, I think, on any statistical level to be outside playing with your friends in the forest. But if you don't have that because you're living in, I don't know, downtown New York or whatever, and you've got no access to that, I mean, doing it online with a bunch of people uh, where you're talking to people who are in the same environment you are playing video games through associative uh, reasoning and memory and anticipatory thing and the consequential thing and the rough boundary thing. I mean, it, it provides a lot of that. I just think it'd be better if people did it on a treadmill instead of a couch with a bowl of popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, neat. Um, are there more uh, things to talk about on the list? Then? Well, we talked a little bit about, you know, the rough sort of play sex thing, but sex by itself, you know, without the rough part being re relevant, uh, the endorphins that are released by that, the oxytocin that we end up uh, flooding with um, the kind of sensory bonding that happens with uh, a lot of those hormones in your brain. Uh, <clears throat> this is actually a thing. You can buy oxytocin nasal sprays. Really? On the internet, you know, Amazon.com, whatever, and you squirt it in your nose, and then for a period of time afterwards, your ability to pick up social cueing um, is going to be enhanced so significantly that um, your ability to actually just deal with people you know, one-to-one, -one if you're, I don't know, say you're interviewing a bunch of people for a position and you really want to get the right person, that would be a thing to do because now your brain is completely cued to how we deal with body language, connection, pleasure, humor, and stuff like that because that's one of the side effects of sex is. Hmm. So short of actually having sex before or during your interview, you could use the spray. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I brought that up about the spray, but... <laughs> That's all the surprise. That's why I'm on this podcast to keep your brain <laughs> sharp. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, sex, um, does it have to be with somebody else? Uh, I'm of the opinion that you're going to get way more out of it with someone else or else's than by yourself. Right. Um, is there, um, and the reason why I asked that because I can just remember things when I, hearing things when I was a kid that, you know, don't do that. You'll go blind. Um, or, um, church that sort of says, you know, you can't masturbate because you go to hell. Um, but there's gotta be, I don't know. That's, that's, that's a whole other conversation, but I'm just wondering in terms of, uh, celebrating the brain, if that is kind of a major or minor thing, I think you'd have to be really creative. Hmm. Right. Okay. We'll leave it there. Oh, Cause I'm just like, well, I mean, it's not on my bucket list of things I ever really <laughs> want to do. So. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, so again, celebrating your brain, what's else that's on the list? Uh, well, we've we kind, kind of got to polarize it from, you know, rough play and, you know, lots of fun games, uh, great sex is the kind of other extreme on the, the scale would be deep, thorough, consistent meditation. Okay. Uh, and so that's kind of the, um, instead of doing something with someone else or around the other people associated, it's more introspective. Well, I mean, you're, we're all run like our ego or by our ego. So, you know, our brain is the horse and your ego is a cowboy. Well, you could say your life is the horse, but, 
But when you start getting into meditation, uh, for the real question of who is the one meditating, um, deep states of consistent coherence, um, recognizing that patience is the cure for almost everything that you get into trouble in your life around. I know that's true for me. When I get impatient, that's when the consequences start to pile up. When I'm really patient, then the consequences go away. Mm. Um, so it's, you know, training ourselves for that. But more importantly, you become a person who remembers yourself as someone with a very different bucket of resources. You know, because until you've really, you know, sat in the, uh, you know, the meditation experience enough to really get there, you know, you're still working against some habits, some impatience, some distraction. But when you can drop into the middle of a, you know, I've been meditating 38 years. So it's a thing that's pretty important to me. But I mean, there was a definite transition when I was serious enough about it to actually go, oh, this isn't about just breathing exercises. This is about questioning who's actually uh, existing in the avatar we call Michael Smith. Hmm. You know, and when you start getting through those things, then uh, all the little stuff isn't really stuff anymore. Right. Uh, and would uh, would prayer fall into that as well then? Uh, I would say like prayer would be applied meditation. Okay. I mean, prayer assumes that you have uh, a relationship with um, something extra or around or meta to the world we live in. That's actually going to respond in some way to what praying is about. And I mean, every tradition has its own particular way of framing that. Um, I don't think you need to literalize how prayer works, but it works. I mean, there's medical statistics that if a person in a hospital knows that their church or their ashram or their, you know, whatever congregation is actively praying for their health, then they're, they're going to have 25% better outcome statistics than people who are aware that no one's praying for them. Wow. And, uh, is that to say that uh, the person is tuning into whatever is being done externally or that they're actually tuning into um, some kind of self-gratitude idea? Like, like, how does it... I don't know if that's even... So honestly, Anthony, with respect to what prayer is or isn't, how it may or may not work in the sense of what science would have to say or what various spiritual traditions would have to say, I mean, that would be an amazing podcast in itself to just really question and or accept any of these traditions uh i guess understanding of what this whole thing we live in really is mm, okay neat uh, definitely my mind wants to um make uh something like that um significant or important uh for the listener um because i know how it affects me I, I know how uh, things in my life have changed because of my perspective and how I have interacted with other people and how I know they're supporting me and all that sort of thing. So that's what prompts the question. So, mm-hmm. Well, I would say if you're a praying person, keep praying and then learn to pray for people you typically wouldn't pray for. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I've been recently made aware that they're taking veterans with PTSD and introducing them to things like the sweat lodge and pipe ceremonies and other stuff. And uh, one man had come out and said the thing that had finally broken his heart open was being asked to pray for his enemy and their family. Hmm. Yeah. That's very powerful stuff to be able to forgive or to understand or appreciate the other's perspective. Well, I mean, that's when we become human beings again. Yeah. 
Wow. That's definitely some good medicine there. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would like to just touch on very quickly the potential therapeutic benefits of certain things that are psychedelic in nature or consciousness expanding. One of my mentors right now actually is working on an international project using things like MDMA um, and even more potent uh, psychedelic, uh, either traditional plants or uh, new chemicals that we can play with to actually help people recover from trauma, especially PTSD. Um, and I think in a certain level, we all have a certain amount of PTSD because we live in a very hostile, punitive world. You know, pay your taxes or else, pay your rent or else, eat food or else, take vitamins or else, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, but when we, when we start having um, opportunities, and especially in an intensive, uh, for me anyway, ceremonial context, because uh, I'm not recommending people just go out there, buy some street drug and get totally screwed up. You know, but actually saying, you know, these things have been a part of human culture since we could figure out how to you know, consistently access them safely. Um, and I've got lots of experience with that in a traditional sense. And nothing has done more for me as a human being than having um, these teachers basically change my complete perspective on what the nature of life really is. You know, in the sense of patience and relaxation and kindness to myself and other people and well, it's it's uh, almost uh, humbling to sort of end on that note, mm -hmm. um, um, and I'm thinking how uh, powerful you know plant medicine and traditional teachings and that sort of stuff have um, sort of woven their way into the conversations that we've had around things like all the geeko parts that you're talking about, and, you know, all the mechanics of the brain and all the physiology of the body and all that sort of stuff, and how it all sort of um, ends up being more um, you are a spirit, <laughs> you know, in this meat suit. And here's what you can do to play with that. Yeah. My favorite thing to share on Facebook is this quote. It's a, uh, <clears throat> you're a spirit driving a skeleton covered in a meat suit made of stardust. Feared nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Wow. Um, I guess that sort of wraps up your, uh, your conversation around uh, supporting and celebrating your brain. Yeah, that was really fun to do a series on something as uh, potentially potent and, and helpful for people like the brain. Yeah, and just based on the conversation we've had in this podcast, um, I'm going to encourage the listener to reach out and ask questions because there's a lot of things that we've talked about today, everything from um, sex to meditation to prayer to whatever. Um, if they've got questions, they should ask them. Yeah, uh, Facebook uh, has been gracious enough to give us a spot. <laughs> uh, Fusion Health Radio, look for Facebook there, and that's certainly a place where you can um, engage with Michael and ask him questions directly um, and specific to this podcast or other health-related questions. That would be the place to do it. Um, and I guess that wraps up today's episode of Fusion Health Radio. Certainly, as I said, we do want to hear from you. Uh, we are on Facebook, and that's where um, that's probably the simplest way for you to, to reach out to us is through Facebook. Uh, you, can also, you, you can also find Fusion Health Radio podcasts on iTunes, where you can subscribe and access the complete library of our podcasts. And while you're there, please write us a review, because uh, that's what the whole marketing machine needs. <laughs> and I'm going to offer anyone who writes a review, and in the previous podcast, I said if you send a link to the review uh, on the Facebook page, that'll help me find you. But turns out that's actually impossible. I tried it. Oh. Because iTunes doesn't allow you to capture a URL of anything you're doing there, mm. which I'm not going to speak to. <laughs> um, but if you 
do that, all you need to do is go on the Fusion Health Radio Facebook page and just, you know, say, hi, Michael and Anthony, you guys are awesome, or or not. something, <laughs> preferably awesome, and just say, I wrote a review on, uh, review on iTunes, and then I'll private message you through Facebook and figure out how to get you a copy of the Returning to an Ancestral Diet uh, ebook, which is worth 20 bucks. Uh, if you like what you've heard today, let us know via Facebook, iTunes, uh, and please share it with someone you know. Um, that's probably the best way. I'm sure that you found this podcast uh, maybe by accident or maybe because somebody told you, but uh, take a minute or so and uh, tell them. Uh, if you tell them through uh, Facebook, that'd be really cool. You could tag them and let us know, and then we can thank you both. Um, I guess that's it. Thanks for listening. Uh, this is uh, Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast featuring Dr. Ma- Dr. Michael Smith. I'm your host, Anthony Santa, and we will see you next time. And uh, go dancing. Start hugging people. Sing. Play. It's good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! Party on, man. (laughs) See you next time, folks. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.